Well, over the last year or so uh, in my life, God has really been working on me to have a heart for the lost, uh, more so than ever before. I just turned 60. That was not my body. That was actually the podium. <laughs> but I do get to move up on the new set of tees on the golf course, so that's a good thing. God has been working on me to have more of a heart for the lost, and we've been talking about that in our evening Bible study that we have as we've been talking about making disciples. And, and, and so that you all know, that, that, um, that group has been praying uh, to reach... This is a big prayer. It's a, this is a God-sized prayer that we are praying to reach all lost people on the east side of Columbus. And we're starting with this apartment complex uh, that, that have been our neighbors for a long time, and, and we are praying for ways that we can uh, get over in those apartments and just spread the word to the lost. And so with that in mind, uh, I was led to the scripture that uh, we're going to read today. If you have your Bibles with you, and I hope that you do, or your phones or whatever, if you want to turn to Luke 16, we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 31. This is a piece of scripture that sometimes... Uh, is not talked about a whole lot because it's a little bit scary to people, I think. But it has such a, such a huge message to it. And I was led to this, this passage of Scripture, and then I, I thought I was going in one direction, and then I, in the research I started reading some, um, some, some um, literature from a guy named Dennis Lee who is a pastor and, and writer, and I liked some of his thoughts on heaven and hell as well. And so... Um, some of what you're going to get today is from the NIV version. Uh, some of what you're going to get today is from the New King James version of the Bible, uh, simply because some of the wording fits with how I want to present this to you today. With that in mind, let's turn to Luke chapter 16 and read verses 19 through 31. It reads this, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Some of your uh, versions might read Abraham's bosom. That is a word that is supposed to transfer to us to mean heaven, to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, Father meaning Abraham, Send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. 
Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. When I was the principal at Jennings County High School, uh, I, I went through a, a few years, and I did it here at Columbus Christian for a year or two as well, when I would give the morning announcements. At the end of the morning announcements, I would always leave them with this. Make it a great day or not, the choice is yours. Thomas Huxley, a 19th century anthropologist and agnostic, was rushing to catch a train one day in Dublin years ago. And he climbed aboard a horse-drawn carriage, and he jumped in that carriage, and he, he told the driver, he said, Hurry, I'm almost late. Drive fast. The driver set off at a furious pace, and Huxley sat back and closed his eyes to kind of relax a little bit. And finally, he opened his eyes and glanced out the window and noticed that they were going in the wrong direction. And he suddenly realized that he hadn't told the driver where he wanted to go. And so he said to him, do you know where you're going? To which the driver replied, no, your honor, but I'm going as fast as I can. <laughs> Unfortunately, that is the reality of how many people live life. We, we live in a fast-paced world. We live with so many activities and so many things going on, but the truth of the matter is there are many living that fa fast-paced life with no direction, no end in mind. Whether people know it or not, whether people understand it or not, everyone is headed somewhere in the end. And the truth is that it's either heaven or hell. Those are the two choices. Those are the two destinations. And the Bible tells us that we only have one shot in this life. We only have one chance to get it right. And the problem is there are a lot of people out there today that are making up their own definitions, not only of what heaven and hell are, but they're making up their own definitions of how to even get there. But ultimately, it's the Lord's judgment that we'll have to answer to that we'll have to face. So let's look to see what God says about that. In the book of Romans, there are some several references here that I'm going to put together, but in Romans, the Bible says that there is no one righteous enough and does not sin. And it says that the wages of that sin is death. But you see, God doesn't leave us in limbo to figure out how we are to be able to get into heaven. He instead, he goes out of his way, saying this, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the gift. And because eternal life is a gift from heaven, it cannot be earned. It cannot be worked for. It's a gift and it only comes through faith in Jesus Christ and in God's wonderful grace. And in the Bible, if you'll look through it and study it and read it, there is no doubt about the reality of heaven and hell. Even though so many people today want to water that down and want, want to, to make it something that, that it isn't, there is no doubt if you believe in the Word of God, there's no doubt in the reality of heaven and hell. And 
what it takes to get to either one. For those who believe in Jesus Christ, to those who believe that He died upon the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, heaven is our final destination. But the opposite is true as well for those who do not believe in Jesus Christ and who do not give their lives or allow their lives to get right with God by being reconciled to Him, being baptized into Him. Hell is their final destination. And it really doesn't matter if they believe that or not. For our teaching this morning on heaven and hell... I'd like to look at some of the characteristics of each. And obviously there could be a long list of characteristics and we have to limit it to what we talk about this morning, but I think these that we want to talk about will give us a good idea, a good understanding of what it will be like to live in one or the other. So first of all, let's look at some of the characteristics of hell. And while there aren't a whole lot of teachings and books written on hell, we seem to be able to find a lot that are written on heaven. Everybody seems to want to avoid the topic of hell. Dennis Lee in his writing says that, the, that sermons written and preached are five to one of sermons preached on heaven to sermons preached on hell. So only a few cover the topic of hell. And I agree with Dennis Lee. Dennis Lee in believing that hell is one of the most neglected topics being preached and taught in our churches today. People, for some reason, just don't want to think about it. They, they, they don't want to consider the reality of it. They don't want to study it. They don't want to discuss it. And I really believe that if we did there would be more emphasis on trying to get out and share the gospel with the lost. Now, while there's a whole lot that can be said about hell, I've chosen just three of its major characteristics this morning. And I want you to know and understand these aren't my characteristics that I'm telling you about. These are from God's Word. Straight from God's Word that says what hell will be like for those who do not choose a life in Jesus Christ. So let's just jump in. First characteristic, hell is a place of endless torments. Hell is filled with unimaginable terror. In his parable of the talents, Jesus said, and throw that worthless servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping, and gnashing of teeth. You see, hell is a real place. And it's a place that's filled with constant pain and anguish. The Bible describes hell in several different places. The Bible describes hell as a place of outer darkness. A place of blackest darkness. When you're reading on that and when you're studying that, we won't go into it right now, but it says it is so dark that you can feel the darkness. It's described as a lake of fire. It's described as a place of eternal separation from the blessings of God. It's described as a prison. It's described as a place of torment where the worm doesn't die. With all of those things in mind, I think it's safe to say that hell is one scary place. 
And so hell is a place of unimaginable, eternal torments. Another characteristic of hell is that it is a place of unquenchable fire. Hell is a place where there will be constant burning, a constant fire throughout eternity. And speaking of the fiery horror of hell, as in comparison only, Jesus said that it would be better for us to go through this life maimed than to enter the fires of hell. That's how horrific hell is going to be. As a matter of fact, that scripture is, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never dies. The Greek word that Jesus uses when he's talking about this is the word Gehenna, which is where we get the idea of a constant burning fire. The valley of Gehenna was just outside of Jerusalem, and the valley of Gehenna is where they would take all of their trash and all the carcasses of dead animals, and they would just throw them in a pile, and in order to get rid of all of that, the fire had to be constant. It just burned all the time with all this trash and the dead animals. Jesus used this awful scene in describing hell. It's kind of like if Jesus were saying, Hey, you want to know what hell's going to be like? Look at the valley of Gehenna. That might give you a little bit of an idea. Might give you some idea of what it's going to be like. So it's also a place of unquenchable fire. Thirdly, it's a place of eternal separation. And thinking about that, first of all, think of the word eternal. I think that is one of the most terrifying aspects of hell. That it'll be forever. In Revelation it says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death for those who don't believe in Christ. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. That's from John's revelation of what he saw. See, literally, there is no getting out of hell once you're in there. Contrary to a lot of other beliefs, there is no purgatory. There is no reincarnation. There is no relief. There are no exit signs. There is no way out. It is eternal. It is forever. And the second word to pay attention to there is the word separation. Because hell is going to be a place where people are separated forever from the presence of God. In 2 Thessalonians 1.9 it says, They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. You know, this one might be the worst torment of all. Eternal separation from God. Hell won't be a place where you can gather with your friends to have a good time. Rather, it's going to be a place where you're going to have this memory of rejecting Jesus and His sacrifice on the cross that could have saved people if they would only believed. 
And no one understand this. God takes no pleasure in people going to hell. I mean, if you look in Scripture, Jesus talked a whole lot more about hell than He even did about heaven in order to emphasize it. And God takes no pleasure in people going there. In Ezekiel, it reads, Do you think that I like to see wicked people die? Says the Sovereign Lord. Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. So we get a picture of what hell is going to be like. Let's in contrast look at some of the characteristics of heaven. Because this world, thank God, is not our home. Heaven is our true home. I, I have a little illustration of this that might not be a good illustration, but in my mind it helps. Maybe it'll help you as well. A lot of you have been to uh, our property that we own, and on our property there, there's a house where now Spencer and Araya and the boys live, and then there's a cabin where uh, Sandy and I live in the cabin. And, and when we bought the property and moved in there, the cabin was just a shell. There had not been nothing finished in the cabin, but we knew we wanted to live in the cabin. So when we bought the property, we moved into the house. Now the house needed some things done. The house needed some updates and some, some things to, to, to pay attention to. But you know why? In our mind, we knew that it was only going to be a few months and we were moving into the cabin. So how much time, how much effort, how much money are you going to put in the house when you know that you're eventually going to spend the majority of your time in the cabin? And the illustration is this. We do that same thing with our lives, do we not? We put so much time and effort into this life that we're living here on earth and we get so consumed with the little minute things that in the big scheme of things aren't that important where we know, we know that we're going to live an eternity in a home, a heavenly home that we should put, be putting as a priority. We should be putting our time and our efforts into that eternal home forever and not so much into our present day situations. Heaven is a place of indescribable joy. Which means that while I would love to be able to tell you how that joy is going to look and how you're going to be able to experience that joy, I can't. Because it's indescribable. And while there are many characteristics of heaven, I'm going to give you what this morning are my top choices. Okay, so the first one is this. In heaven we get a new body. 2 Corinthians 5.4 it reads, While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. Anybody relate to that? But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. You see, in heaven, once the rapture takes place, a believer's body is going to be changed, as Paul puts it, in a moment. In the time that it takes to blink, we're going to have a new body. And in that moment of time, all believers in Jesus Christ will, give, will be given brand new heavenly bodies. How great is that? I think we can all say that these earthly bodies are sometimes not a whole lot of fun. I mean, really. They get tired, they feel pain, they get sick, 
They move slower with age. Our eyes dim. Our ears dull. Our hair and our teeth start falling out. I mean, that's what's led way to the cosmetic industry, has it not? I mean, people are willing to pay small fortunes to reverse that process. <laughs> Spending billions of dollars to cover up, make up, lift up, whatever. Right? Billions of dollars to change that process. Therefore, I think one of the first of heaven's highlights is that we're going to get a whole new body for free. A body that is without defect. A body that was, is without flaw. A body that will not age. And then you follow that with number two, we're going to get a custom-built home for us. Maybe, that, maybe you've noticed that over the years, along with our body, our homes seem to wear out as well, or at least get some wear and tear on them. I mean, do they not? Our homes develop flaws and defects as the foundations begin to settle. Toilets stop up. Bathtubs won't drain, at least as quickly as we want. The electricity sometimes goes haywire. The carpet wears and needs constant cleaning, and tables and windowsills need dusted all the time. But when we get to heaven, we're going to have a brand new, never lived in home that won't wear out or won't wear down. In John 14, 1 and 2, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going to prepare a place for you. And you see, by saying that he's going to prepare a place for us tells us without the shadow of a doubt that he's coming back to take us to the same place where he is living. And that place is heaven with a brand new body and a brand new home. And the third thing is this, it's going to be a perfect place. I mean, let's face it, one look at the world around us, the world that we live in right now, and we can see that this world is far from perfect. Can I get an amen? amen. Absolutely. I mean, living in this world, quite frankly, can sometimes be a downer. I mean, it's depressing. All you have to do is watch the news or read a newspaper, and it can be depressing. But not heaven. Heaven will be perfect. Heaven will be great. I mean, when you look at structure and you break it down, it says that there's going to be a multicolored, crystal clear wall surrounding the new Jerusalem. It tells us that there's going to, it tells us that there's going to be 12 pillars, and each pillar will just be a massive pearl. Tells us that the streets will be made of such pure gold that they'll be transparent. That there's going to be a river, and that river is going to have the purest water that will run right out of God's throne. And that there won't be any need for a sun to shine by day or a moon to shine by night because Jesus, 
will be the light and he will be able to illuminate everything. Which means that all darkness and evil in the world are gone. Night is gone forever. But even more than that, it's a perfect place because it will be a land of no mores. Revelation 21 verse 4 it says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. You know, living in this world where we have broken homes, broken lives, broken hearts, broken bodies, and it's all part of our existence here. And if, if, if seeing what heaven is going to be like in comparison to what we're living now is not enough to motivate you to want to live in heaven for eternity, I just don't know what's going to motivate you. When you talk about a place where there's no more dying, no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering, no more evil... And that in, that's not even all. It's also a place where there's no more hunger, no more thirst. I don't know if Charlie Swain's in here, but no more 100 degree weather. In Revelation 7:16 it says, "They shall neither hunger anymore, nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat." And as great as all of that is, that's not even the greatest no more. There's one more, no more, that I think is greater than any of them, and it is this. It outdoes them all. In Revelations 22.3 it says, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. You see, in heaven, the curse of sin is gone forever. The curse that has separated us from God will forever be abolished. No more. No more curse. And because of that, the greatest heavenly characteristic, the greatest heavenly highlight is ours. And that is we're going to see God. Like John in his Revelation vision, the vision that he had when he wrote Revelation, we'll be blown away by what we're going to see. We'll be blown away by the entire experience because we are going to be able to see God in His full glory. Revelation 4, verses 2 and 3 says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven... And one sat on the throne, and he who sat there was like a jasper and sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. You see, the apostle, the apostle John, in his limited language, in his limited understanding, is trying to describe for our limited minds an unlimited God whose beauty is beyond words. And he's attempting, he is attempting to explain that to us. But you see, when we get to heaven, all those limitations are going to be lifted. And we're going to be able to take it in. 
for all eternity, the experience, and all the aspects of God and His beauty will blow us away. And so as we have looked this morning at the characteristics of heaven and hell, and if the praise team wants to come on up, as we've looked at the characteristics of heaven and hell, and by the way, there are plenty more than what we even touched the surface of this morning, the question becomes, how then can we escape heaven and make it into hell? And the answer is really quite simple. The answer is by having faith in Jesus Christ. Accepting Him as our Lord and Savior, being baptized into Him. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so the answer to how can we escape hell and make it into heaven is Jesus Christ. He is the answer. Having faith in Him and what He did on the cross, to die on the cross, He took the place of us. When He died on that cross, He took the place and took on everything that we deserve. And He did it that whoever believes in Him will not perish forever in hell, but will be able to have eternal life with Him. Or as Jesus said it Himself in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So as much as I enjoyed at the end of those morning announcements being able to say, make it a great day or not, the choice is yours. Today I get to tell you, make it a great eternal life or not. The choice is yours. So if there is anyone here today that has not made that commitment, has not turned and surrendered their life over to Christ, it would be our prayer that you do that today. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to... to uh, get you to take your affirmation of faith and be baptized into Him. It's that important. And maybe others today have done that a little time ago or years ago, but you've just been caught up in the rat race of life. <laughs> the way we just live at such a fast pace and been consumed by all the activities and all the worldly things that you just kind of strayed away from that and you just need to recommit today. I pray you do that as well. Whether you say that prayer there in your pew or if you want to pray up here, I'd love to pray with you for that as well. Right now I'm going to ask you to stand as we sing this final song. If you have a decision to make, we pray that you do. Pray with me please.